Welcome to journeywithjesus.net, a weekly webzine for the global church. I'm Daniel B. Clendenin. My essay this week is called Walking the Ancient Way of St. James, Expecting the Unexpected. It's based upon the lectionary readings for Sunday, June the 17th, 2012. This week, my wife and I traveled to Spain to walk the 500-mile medieval Way of St. James. In Spanish, El Camino de Santiago de Compostela. We begin in the southwest corner of France, cross the Pyrenees into Spain, then head west for 33 days, one day for each year in the life of Christ. We'll finish God willing, at the Cathedral of St. James in the central square of Compostela, where legend says the bones of St. James are buried. We'll have lots of company, too. Last year, 180,000 pilgrims from 140 countries made the trek. The Way of St. James has been a Christian pilgrimage for over a thousand years. The earliest written reference comes from the year 950, when one Bishop Gostalco journeyed from France to Compostela. We also know that in 1072, King Alfonso VI abolished tolls for pilgrims who made the trip. And by the time of Pope Calixtus II, who died in 1124, he, we know that he actively promoted the pilgrimage and the way of St. James was a well-known route. Around the year 1140, a French priest named Picot made the pilgrimage and recorded his experiences in a five-volume illuminated manuscript. This is called the Codex Collectus, volume five of which <coughs> is sometimes called the first ever travel guide. Volume 5 divides the trip into 13 stages and gives pilgrims practical advice about the route, works of art along the way, people, and local customs. Life itself is a sacred journey, of course, and therein lies the power of the pilgrim metaphor. As for the outer journey, I'm looking forward to getting away from my computer time alone with my wife, physical exercise, and experiencing the history and culture of another country. Then there's the inner journey. For that, I've been thinking about the poet-farmer Wendell Berry. In his poem, Sabbath, he writes, The mind that comes to rest is tended in ways that it cannot intend. So as we walk the way of St. James beginning this week, I'm praying and expecting the unexpected. The readings this week explore the unexpected. All of them show how God works in ways that surprise us. The psalmist's prayer in Psalm 20 is a little schizophrenic. At first he prays, May God give you the desire of your heart, and make all your plans succeed. May the Lord grant all your requests. 
That's not a bad prayer, not by any means. I've prayed it for myself, and I've prayed it for others. But on further reflection, I'm also grateful that God did not give me much of what I asked for. And so the psalmist qualifies and deepens his thought. He writes, Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. It's better to trust God's providential care for all things large and small than to insist upon success for what you've tried to micromanage. Wise pilgrims on the journey know that many things are beyond their control, and that's okay. In the Old Testament reading, we read how King Saul was a war president. We read, all the days of Saul, there was a bitter war with the Philistines. He was also a war profiteer, who after defeating the Amalekites, took for himself the best of the sheep and cattle, the fat calves and the lambs, everything that was good. And he did this all under the pretext of religious piety. King Saul conscripted Israel's children for wars and made them his domestic slaves. He confiscated their lands and imposed exorbitant taxes. He even set up a monument in his own honor. Does this ancient story not sound strangely modern? But divine destiny overshadowed Saul's human choices, and history did not turn by his own hand. Samuel deposed Saul and anointed the least likely successor. David was the last and the least of Jesse's seven sons. The first six sons had all the marks of regal authority, but the Lord told Samuel, God does not look at the things that man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. David might have looked like a ladies' man, handsome and ruddy, but God directed Samuel, rise and anoint him. He is the one. And so we're reminded how God looks at things differently than we do. He does the unexpected. Then there's Ezekiel, who had a strange vision of two eagles and a vine and a word from the Lord that was even stranger. In the waning days of Israel's kingdom, hapless King Zedekiah broke his treaty with powerful Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon by turning to Egypt for help. No, said Ezekiel, that might look patriotic and sound brave, but to resist pagan Babylon was to resist the very hand of God. We read, I, the Lord, bring down the tall tree and make the low tree grow tall. I dry up the green tree and make the dry tree flourish. Things aren't always what they seem. And in the gospel this week, Mark chapter 4, Jesus says that the kingdom of God grows in inexplicable ways. It's like a farmer who scatters seed, and then, according to the text, whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, 
though he does not know how. Sunshine, dirt, and water, then all by itself, says Jesus, the seed of the kingdom grows. Nor does this require genetically modified super seeds. Even a tiny mustard seed produces unlikely giants. Maybe this is why Paul tells the Corinthians in this week's epistle that he would never dare to quote-unquote commend himself to them as if he had somehow bottled the lightning. As we start our pilgrimage this week, I'm praying that God would meet us in unexpected ways. That as we break away from our normal rhythms of life, he would tend to us in ways that we don't even intend. We're praying the Pilgrim's Prayer from that medieval Codex Calixtus from 1140 and invite you to do the same, both for us, if you would, and also for your own life journey. Listen to the medieval prayer from the Codex Calixtus. God, you called your servant Abraham from Ur and Chaldea, watching over him in all his wanderings, and guided the Hebrew people as they crossed the desert. Guard these your children who, for the love of your name, make a pilgrimage to Compostela. Be their companion on the way, their guide at the crossroads, their strength in weariness, their defense in danger, their shelter on the path, their shade in the heat, their light in the darkness, their comfort in discouragement, in the firmness of their intentions that through your guidance they may arrive safely at the end of their journey and, enriched with grace and virtue, may return to their homes filled with salutary and lasting joy. For books this week, we have a guest book review by our music review editor, David Werther. In fact, it's actually a combination book review and also music review by the singer Dion. The book is called Dion, The Wanderer Talks Truth, Stories, Humor, and Music. Servant Books, 2011, 144 pages. Dion compares the young Augustine to a rock star a celebrity poet, very bright, who loved the ladies. Disavowing any literary pretensions, Dion refers to The Wanderer Talks Truth as his own spiritual testament, his own confessions, if you will. That testament has a soundtrack's Bronx poem, the final song on his CD, Tank Full of Blues. Halfway through, Dion sings, I don't want to underestimate what God can do in my life. A line that expresses the essence of his memoir, The Wanderer Talks Truth. Like C.S. Lewis, Dion had two conversions. The first one was to theism in 1968, and the second one was to Christianity in 1979. The first conversion came when Dion asked his father-in-law, Jack, to pray for him. In response, Jack encouraged Dion to pray. 
God loves to hear from strangers, he writes. Dion asked for help and immediately received it. He writes, I got down on my knees, just as I'd seen Jack doing, and in my own rambling way, I asked God to take away my obsession with alcohol, to break the chains. And he did, just like that. Since that moment, I've never taken a drink or done drugs. I've never wanted to. It was as if God was just waiting for me to ask. Like that conversion to theism, Dion's turning to Christianity was the result of an immediate and a dramatic answer to prayer. He writes, I was out jogging like every morning. As I went along, I prayed, God, it would be nice to be closer to you. Suddenly I was flooded with white light. It was everywhere, inside me, outside me, everywhere. Ahead of me, I saw a man with arms outstretched. I love you, he said. Don't you know that? I'm your friend. I laid down my life for you. I'm here for you. Reflecting on that experience, Dion writes, Yet here's something mysterious. The more I changed, the more I became like myself. God was, and still is, finishing up his creation. Here Dion echoes the theme Lewis closed mere Christianity with. Lewis writes, until you have given yourself to God, you will not have a real self. Sameness is to be found most among natural people, not among those who surrender to Christ. How monotonously alike are all the great tyrants and conquerors have been. How gloriously different are the saints. Dion's glorious difference shines in Bronck's poem. Only he can sing, yo, hallelujah. The singer Dion. The title of his memoir, Dion, The Wanderer Talks Truth. For film this week, I review a movie called Being Elmo, A Puppeteer's Journey, from 2011. <clears throat> Kevin Clash, born in 1960, grew up on the outskirts of Baltimore watching Sesame Street and dreaming of going to Disney World. By age 10, he was sewing, building, and manipulating his own puppets including giving shows for the neighborhood kids on a stage built by his father. Yes, to be sure, he endured teasing at school, but thanks be to God, he had supportive parents. On a senior class trip to New York City, he met Kermit Love, the master puppeteer of Sesame Street. And a year later, he did a gig for Sesame Street in the Macy's Parade after which the rest, as they say, is history. Kevin Clash went on to develop the character Elmo, who's characterized by love, hugs, and kisses. The Tickle Me Elmo doll became a global phenomenon. This documentary about Kevin Clash tells the story of the shy and unpretentious African-American man behind the effusive Muffet. It debuted at the 2011 Sundance Film Festival, and since then has won numerous film awards and nominations. 
I watch Being Elmo on Netflix streaming. It makes for fantastic family viewing. Being Elmo, A Puppeteer's Journey. And finally, for poetry this week, and for Father's Day, we've posted a poem by Theodore Rothka, who lived from 1908 to 1963. It's called My Papa's Waltz. The whiskey on your breath could make a small boy dizzy, but I hung on like death. Such waltzing was not easy. We romped until the pan slid from the kitchen shelf, my mother's countenance could not unfrown itself. The hand that held my wrist was battered on one knuckle. At every step you missed, my right ear scraped a buckle. You beat time on my head with a palm caked hard by dirt, then waltzed me off to bed, still clinging to your shirt. Theodore Rothka, My Papa's Waltz. Thank you for joining us at journeywithjesus.net for Sunday, June 17th, 2012. I'm Daniel B. Clendenin.